Welcome to the Imperfectly Perfect Campaign, sharing real-life stories from real people to unite them in global change for the face of mental health. We will also reduce the stigma, creating communication, healing, and awareness to save lives and inspire. Join us weekly as we talk to some of the highly acclaimed faces, influencers, experts, and others who have been through extreme adversity. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Imperfectly Perfect podcast. Today, I'm pretty excited. Another fellow Britishman. And what I do, like I always do each week, is run down a bio. This is quite an extensive bio, mate. I was reading through this earlier and I was like, you have done some incredible stuff. So, without further ado, Craig Kelly, born in Lytham, St. Anne's, Lancashire, trained at Drama Centre in London, and after graduating in 92, landed the leading role opposite Harvey Keitel in the cult film The Young Americans. After multiple screen appearances, played Sean Bean's younger brother in When Saturday Comes before landing a regular role in the TV series Casualty. Soon after, he played Harold Bride in the film Titanic. He then starred in the Oscar-nominated short film Killing Joe. He was then cast as Vince Tyler in the seminal hit TV show Queer as Folk, other appearances on TV, regular roles in The Grimleys, Hotel Babylon, Collision, Clocking Off, and Emmy Award-winning series Waking the Dead. He was also a regular in Coronation Street, playing the womanizer and conman Luke Strong. Since then, he's made many more appearances on TV, including Moving On, Silent Witness, and Monroe. He also appeared in many plays over the years, working in the Domino Warehouse, West Yorkshire Playhouse, Soho Theatre, Bolton Octagon, Glasgow Citizens and Trafalgar Studios. He's one of the UK's most prolific voiceover artists, well known for his distinctive voice, narrating multiple shows and documentaries. Most recently, he produced and starred in the Blackpool-based gangster flick Trick or Treat, which also includes a stellar British cast of Francis Barber, Jason Fleming, Chris Marshall, Sean Parks, Hugo Spear, and his brother, Dean Lennox Kelly. The award-winning film has already been released in the UK to rave reviews and has now hit up digital release in the USA. So we're going to touch on this base very shortly, but can I just say, first and foremost, welcome to the show, Greg. Hi, mate. Thanks for having me on. Oh, you're welcome. And you know what? I'm so excited about this because we just touched upon it before I press record, but let's just go straight into Kelly's Heroes, your podcast. <laughs> because... <laughs> At the gym, I was in hysterics. So guys, anyone that's listening, if you've got very British humour, you're going to love this, but I think you're going to love it either way because you've got incredible guests on there, like some some greats in Britain themselves. Hugo Spear, um, Tamsin Althway, yeah. all of them. So where did that start from, first of all? Well, it started because we were about six, seven weeks into lockdown and I'd already bought some professional uh, equipment, um, mics and pop shields, um, et cetera, et cetera, amps, because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a voiceover artist, as you, as you just said before, and, and, and an actor. And my wife, Camilla, said, why don't you do your podcast? You've been meaning to do it for, for ages. And I was like, you know what? Now's the time. So basically... I texted lots of famous mates and I said, look, I'm just going to call you up and press record. That's it. (laughs) No agenda. It's unguarded banter, really. It's unguarded chat. I've no idea um, how this is going to go. And what I found was every single one, and I did 15 for the first series, every single one seemed to be slightly different. Some are very, very funny, some are emotional, some are not as funny, but very deep. And what I found it boiled down to was two human beings having a connection. 
And I think at the backdrop of lockdown, I think I did the first three or four, we were still talking about lockdown a lot. And then I moved on from that because I didn't want it to be dated. But what I found was if you've got a level of trust with the person that you are calling, they will just tell you things that you didn't even ask them to tell. Mm. You know, and so I'd start off with the kids' questions, which was an amazing thing because the kids ask such beautiful questions like, if you were a dinosaur, what dinosaur would you be? And what's your favorite color? And I mean, Vincent asked, because um, I'd never tell my kids what, um, who, who I was interviewing. So for example, when I did Terry Hall, who is, you know, a real icon and, you know, sort of one of my heroes. I mean, he's certainly someone that I admire greatly. Um, and, you know, he wasn't my mate and yeah, he'd heard me do it. And he, I just approached him via, Instagram and he said, yeah, I'll do it. I, mean, I couldn't believe it. And five minutes before I went on air, I said, this is my, 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 my kids. I said, you know, have you got a, a question? And Vincent just went, ask him what he dreamt last night. <laughs> <laughs> it's just brilliant because then, have you listened to the Terry Hall one yet? I haven't. I've listened to oh, five, but. You're in for a treat, right? Because I asked Terry Hall, I said, Terry, this is from Vincent. What did you dream last night? And he said, I didn't have a dream last night, but I do have a recurring dream that I've had for the last 20 years. And it involves Simon Le Bon hurtling towards me on a speedboat as I'm stood on a jetty. What? I said, what? <laughs> he said, yeah. And I said, what happens? He goes, he's waves me over. He, he's, he's there with two beautiful girls and he's waving me on his boat. And I said, and what happens? He said, I, I say, no, I don't get on. <laughs> And then I said, and, and I said, and then what happens? He goes, well, he sails off and then the boat blows up. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, this stuff up. <laughs> it's an amazing thing because I don't think he'd ever told anyone that. And he openly told me that amazing story. And, um, you know, we went deeper about it. And, you know, he thinks it was something to do with the level of fame that Duran Duran um, achieved and it was perhaps a level of fame that he didn't didn't really want and I argued the fact well for me that, that you know the specials are like you know hugely important and hugely famous um, but as I suppose what he was saying was he, he didn't want it to go um, any any bigger yeah. uh, any any uh, poppier maybe but but that is an example of 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 somebody who doesn't really like chatting to people in public. And so therefore, when I interviewed him, I, I was mindful of that. But he just opened up to me and talked really openly about, um, you know, s struggles with depression and coping in lockdown. Um, and, and, and I think people in the right circumstances like to get things off their chest and they like to communicate because I'm one of those guys that I'm a guy you can talk to in the pub about your feelings and I'm a guy that will talk about his feelings not to everyone but to very very close people and I've been like that for years and years and years and years um, and I just think that's a very healthy thing um, and you know with, with lockdown and the fact that my my industry's gone very very quiet um i've had to just really go day by day that's yeah. the way i dealt with it i do a day by day thing 
I don't look at the bigger picture. I don't look at the fact that I haven't worked as much. I don't look about the fact I've turned the news off, for example. I don't get notifications. I don't, I don't want to um, receive any more negative information from the news. Um, I just want to be present and I want to be grateful for what I have. But in order for me to deal with the enormity of what it's done to my industry, I just have to deal on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think it's a real valuable lesson to, to learn. Because this whole thing has humbled the world, I think. Yeah. It's humbled me. And, you know, it's made me very, very aware of what I've got and what I'm um, grateful for. And, and I just wanted to get that across, actually. I think it's very important for me to say to you, and for hopefully people to take this on board, if you're feeling overwhelmed or if you're feeling that you're struggling or if you're feeling worried, just take it minute by minute sometimes, hour by hour, but certainly day by day. Yeah. And I've, I've got two things there. First of all, Chris Marshall, you were speaking to him about a yeah. smoothie or a worm sandwich. And he was like, it's going to be a worm sandwich for the protein. I, was like, I shot out my drink. <laughs> I know. Because he because he delivered his line so so dryly, didn't he? Because he's yeah. funny, like effortlessly funny, without even trying. He's just just a but, funny guy. But, you know. but even listening to your podcast, what stood out for me, and like first time I've met you on here, but listening to you in interviews that I was looking at, and then listening to your podcast, it's like the thing I love with British people is they are very salt of the earth people. It's kind of when I heard that you talked about your dad, and your dad had told you and your brother that as long as you was happy. Yeah. you what you want because so many people in this life are not happy but yeah. attesting to what you said there with um with everyone just opening up to you i would say that's obviously you've got a skill there mate that people do when i went to the u.s and i was fortunate to be asked about this campaign that question was put to me as well and gone people are sharing their story with you glenn how does that make you feel and i was like um on live tv mate <laughs> i was like um oh i get Oh shit! I don't. Uh, uh, oh, can I say that? <laughs> well, I think it's something that you just. I was told that there's three types of listeners. There's obviously those that really don't pay attention. There's those who try to, but they're too much thinking of the next question. Yes, the yes. third are the one that just makes things flow. Like, and your podcast, it just goes, dun, dun, and there's so much yeah. fun to them, mate. So, yeah. Thank you very much, it, mate. It, well, you, well, you've got you know you've got a similar energy to me. And, and, I, and, I, and I think it does come down to a person's energy. I can see you've got no uh, agenda. Um, you've got a nice vibe about you. And, I, you know, obviously I can see that your heart's in the right place. And, and, and also I respect what you're doing Thank you. and what you're going to do. And, but as well, maybe it's a coincidence that we're both northerners. I don't know. <laughs> you know, so but... I, 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 go on. Sorry, mate. Go on. On, oh, no, I was just going to say, so my mum's from Lancashire. She was Mia yes. side. I think it's Mia side. So the side he, of the north, right? The, the, the Red Rose. Yep. So the Red Rose. There was a war, wasn't there? You know what? I can't remember. But I remembered every summer going to Blackpool Pleasure. I don't even know what's there these days. I, I was one of the first ones to go on the, what was the biggest one they made? The biggest the big one. The big one. It's that was it. Yeah. yeah. Terrifying. Still there? Have you, how long Still is there. it? So where do you live now? Well, I live in London. 
Right. And, I, and I, I moved here when I was 18. I went to drama school when I was a baby, literally a baby. I think we were just taking the second pin from the nappy. Um, <laughs> and I, Can you tell everybody when you walked into that college, I read that and that made me laugh as well, mate, that um, why did you join drama school? What did the guy say um, to me? <laughs> Uh, well, well, it was basically. Um, what, oh, oh, do you mean when uh, when it first happened when I was sixteen? Yeah, when, when you I were walking in. home and you went in and you said to a guy and he said, "Oh, yeah, so yeah, God, yeah." Well, what what happened was I had no idea that I was going to be an actor because I I always presumed I was going to play for Liverpool. Yeah, um, I don't know if that was. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I had some talent and I and people kept telling me that I was going to play for a professional team. There, there was a lot of confidence about me and football and uh, 14 I got this injury which meant I couldn't play for 18 months and my head went and I thought I actually thought when I was 16 I was too old to be signed oh oh it would have happened by now yeah. and then I went down and I it was just look serendipity and that's why I believe in the power of the universe and energy and I um, walked down this street locally and I just happened to see this sign saying open day St Anne's College and I was like, right, I'm interested in psychology and sociology, which is interesting. That's what I wanted to study, not knowing anything about where I was going in life. And so I spoke to those people and I was just leaving and I just looked over and there was, there was this guy who at that point seemed quite old to me, but it, he, you know, he's probably only about 50. <laughs> and he looked like John Gielgud. Yeah. And I went over and I was just intrigued by his aura. And I said, um, Hi, mate, what do you do in drama, dear boy, drama? And I said, all right. And he said, I said, what's that? And he went, well, it's an acting course that lasts two years and you do, you do four O-levels in, in, um, or four GCSEs in the time that you're here. And I was like, all oh, right, well, that's interesting. And he said, and the girls, I'll number the boys five to one. <laughs> and I said, where do I sign? <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> I had no intention of becoming an actor and what I was doing. I was just remember signing this thing going, boom, I'm going to be an actor for a bit. And it was just a stroke of luck, a stroke of amazing luck. And it turned out that I was pretty good at it. And they said, you're, you're pretty good at this. And then I just got into it and I got the, the bug, the acting bug. And then I went to Drama Centre with a, with a brilliant actor called John Sim. Mm. Uh, and we went at the same time. He was 19, I was 18. And the next thing we were thrust into leotards and we were doing ballet. Um, which was which was quite challenging, <laughs> and um, yeah, and and it was pretty brutal that training. But I thanked them for it. It was it was the making of me. It meant that when I left, still a baby at 21, 22, into the world of showbiz, I was ready for anything because I'd been put through the ringer. Because we all had it was like a military camp. It was known to be, to be um, brutal. And me and John nicknamed it Trauma Center, you know. Yeah. Uh, but amazing training, I've got to say, an amazing training that to this day, every time I approach a character, um, I use quite a lot of that work because the, the, the beauty about that work is understanding characters, which I think gives me an insight into the human psyche and myself and sometimes other people and I think I'm very good at reading people and reading situations and having a positive outlook on life. Because if you're an actor, I, I, I firstly believe you've got to be a, a humble person. 
you've got to be a slave to the writing and you've got to always tell the story. If you're not telling the story, then you're self-indulgent and become something else. And so I actually think, just as we're chatting now, I think that training was possibly in some ways the making of me. Um, that and obviously my, my great upbringing from my parents, which I'm very, very fortunate mm -hmm. to, have, to have had, because let's face it, some people don't have a great upbringing. And some people have to find other ways of searching for inspiration or searching for how to cope. Um, and sometimes I do believe if, if, you're ever, if you're ever struggling, you just close your eyes and just think about, about almost nothing. And something sometimes comes to you. I, I, hope, I hope that sounds like I'm making sense, but I just mean like your instinct within you can tell you a whole lot of things. It's funny, it's funny you say that because I, I say it and my listeners are probably fed up of hearing it, but I say this campaign, I'm very grateful for where it's gone and who I've met and all this, but on the side of it, the amount of growth, because I've gone inside, I've gone internal. And when you said that, your clarity and everything, because my head's always running at 100 miles an hour. I'm doing this. I've got the kids. I've got this. I'm trying to think this. I work full time as well. And then I'm going, okay, I need to settle down a little bit and just, just do that quiet moment. But I think when one of the questions that I always get intrigued by with actors, and I'm not quite a few in the entertainment industry now, is I don't know whether it's an intuitive thing. Some, I don't know if you've seen yet some of the images for this campaign that I did. I just showed the raw emotion when I see an actor work or a film or something, it, I always know when someone's been through adversity or something, there's a difference with actors I see. And when someone's so gritty, like the thing with Australia, I love Australia and I know time constraints, but say you've got Home and Away and Neighbours, the, the biggest ones, it's yeah. like some, something happens traumatic, they all cry for a few moments and the next scene, I get the, I get the time thing. But with me, I want it prolonged. You know, like British drama and British, yeah. it, it carries you along. And I always yeah. get a sense of, you can see it within a character, one of the actors who's been through something. And that's what yeah. I to portray in kind of, in reality, the person behind that character to yeah. show them. So like yourself in entertainment, corporate, that we're all just one and we all struggle. Gotcha. It's, gotcha. it's so real. But I, I, I take my hat off to everything that you guys do in that entertainment industry. And that's one of the things I want to touch on. Cause like from, I think you, I read you was like 18 and your first, your first starring role was opposite like Harvey Keitel, which is huge. And then you weren't working for nine months. And I know some people when they are test looking at social media think, Oh, it must be gig to gig and red carpets. And yeah, no, that's, that's exactly what happened. Um, I was actually 21. Uh, I started drum school at 18 and then three years and I hooked out into the lead opposite of Kaitel. And I thought, all oh, right, well, this is the way it's going to be. Massive film star. And to be fair, that's what I predicted. To be fair, I knew that I was going to achieve something. And I don't mean that, maybe it was arrogant because you are arrogant when you're younger. What was hard for me was achieving what I knew I was going to achieve and then it being taken away from me, almost. Like, oh no, oh no, it's not going to be that easy, mate. You're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to earn your stripes. And it was almost like, um, oh yeah, it was, it was tough. It was tough because you, um, 
you you get given this this amazing role and and I got amazing reviews and the the film did pretty well in hindsight but because it it didn't last very long in the cinemas and it it didn't get a release in in the states and I remember for example in hindsight uh, some of it was my fault because of perhaps arrogance of youth but but I remember American agents wanting to sign me and me having having um, the balls to say, no, I'm going to make it over here first. I'm not going to go to LA cap in hand. This is the way I'm going to do it. Because mm. the way I figured was, well, I've got to this far with this kind of mindset. So this is how I'm going to continue. It was like a instinct. And it's funny because I have had highs and lows with, with with my career, but ultimately what it boils down to is, would I change anything for the world? No, I'm, I'm very lucky to, you know, to have a wonderful wife and two wonderful children. If anything along the line, if I'd have gone to LA and been a massive, massive film star, who knows what would have happened to me? But all I know is I wouldn't have my children now. Yeah. And if say God came down, and I've, you know, I've spoke to people about this, if God came down, or the universe came down and went, ah, hang on a minute, there's been a mistake here, mate. You were supposed to have Tom Cruise's career. He was <laughs> supposed to have your career. Sorry, we're just going to do a little swap around. So you can have all his money, all his fame, all of that, all of that, but you've got to swap your... You're joking me, aren't you, mate? There's, there's, just, there's just no way. So although it's been up and down, and I've, got sort of, I've had some amazing highs, it's not, I can't dictate what happens. There's too many moving parts for mm -hmm. an actor. You can't, you can't, you can only do as much as you can and the rest is out of your hands. And it's taken me possibly a long, long time to actually be, be comfortable with that. And there is something about having children that's very life affirming and very brilliant because you realize, oh, this ultimately is what it's all about. I'm on this planet to be a father, basically. So know? when you went into fatherhood, you've been thrust into the limelight, you was going through highs and lows and everything. What comes with parenthood comes a whole set of challenges as well. So you're in the public eye here, you're a yeah. father, you're trying to juggle everything. How yeah. was that, especially for, I'd say lockdown at the moment, people who were isolated with their, with their kids and trying to juggle work and everything. How was that for yourself? Oh, it was extremely hard. Um, I've, I mean, you've hit the nail on the head there in terms of the juggling, because on one hand, at the back of your mind, you're, you're wondering by the very nature of your profession where your next job is coming from. Mm. Uh, and the kids aren't really interested in that. They, they live in now, they live in the moment. Mm. And, um, oh, definitely, I, I found, well, actually, interestingly, I did a very, I think, quite a smart thing which was I stopped drinking at the start of lockdown because of the hype, the hysteria. Um, I was one of those people that wasn't really buying it all. Uh, I, I, I'm not saying, I knew COVID was real, but I, I thought it was like, why are the press making so much of a big deal about this? I, I took it with a pinch of salt um, and I wasn't necessarily scared or anxious, but there was a period actually when it got quite serious and Boris Johnson made this wartime announcement, that I realized we were at kind of war. It was like a wartime feeling. 
Mm. And I remember being kind of not for six about that. So the first thing I did was stop drinking because I wanted complete clarity. And I also knew I wouldn't be able to deal with my kids on hangover. <laughs> yeah. Because I've got a boy who's only just turned five and, and a daughter who is almost 10. So you had, my wife was working loads. I was doing my podcast and doing the odd voiceover. Um, but we were in this house that fortunately we just had done up, thank God. So we had a garden and we had space. And I remember it being pretty much the most intense experience of, of my life because you've got children that want to play, who don't want to do their schoolwork, who, who are arguing between themselves because by the very nature of their age and their, their, their being, they're just children. And then you've got the pressure of your wife is, is working extremely hard and maybe you're not working as much as you'd like. And oh my God, yes, a whole, it's like a perfect storm. And ultimately, this is, what, this is what I realized, was minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. And it's credit to everyone that we all got through that. Mm. And I take my hat off to anyone, with or without children, if you're in an enclosed space and you're trying to earn, you're trying to keep your patience, you're trying to feed your kids. I mean, God, the dishes I did, I became an expert dishwasher. <laughs> Came an extraordinary, and I had a conversation with Max on my podcast, and he's going, "Yeah, did you get the marigolds on, kid? Get the marigolds on." I said, "No, no I didn't go that far, mate." Yeah. No. <laughs> what are you? What, what did you have marigolds? Yeah, kid, you got to have the marigolds on, kid. Um, so when I look back on it, I, I marvel at um, how we all got through it as a as a family. But I do try to see the positive in everything and now lockdowns happened again I and mean, I don't know what it's like in Australia but now lockdowns happened again for us it's almost a piece of cake in comparison because you're used to wearing a mask you're you're used to not seeing your friends as much you're kind of used to not going to the pub um and the way I look at it I think we're all better human beings because of this pandemic yeah. that's the way I see it now of course I don't like it of course I've hated what it's done to my industry, but it's brought us closer as a family. It's made me realize who I am, what I'm about. It's humbled me beyond belief. And, and it's made me just grateful for the things that I have, not for the things that I haven't. Yeah. You know what though? I'm going to touch on, um, it's like I'm plugging your podcast here all the way through. Oh, Thank you. <laughs> like, you like, you become mates overnight because <laughs> you basically genuinely enjoyed my podcast, which is like my little baby. It's oh, like my little baby. It's, you know, I edit it, I produce it, I get all the guests. I, you know, I mean, I've had help, you know, from my wife, I hasten to add, um, you know, she set it up with me, but, but after about episode three or four, she, she, she got too busy with work. Yeah. So it, it, it's, it, you know, it's become my baby really. And so for you to enjoy it makes my heart swell with pride, dear boy, pride. <laughs> it's just like even you own it. That's you own your truth. It was, I, I'll go to what I was going to say, but quickly it was like, I think, I think it was the Chris episode and you was like, yeah, so I've just set it up and it's like in my airing cupboard, there's mattresses yeah. around and I've got my producer, my assistant, i.e. my wife. Uh, just <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but what I was going to touch on was um, another episode attesting to like lockdown and that with Tamsin Althwaite, where she, yeah. they did something on the iPhone 7. 
So it actually brought people a lot more to resonate with them from yeah. being disconnected from a TV screen. They actually brought it in. And I think she was yeah. saying something like, yeah, the dogs were running around. I got my bloody kids and I got builders or whatever. And yeah. it's just showing you humanity. It, it's like, yes, we are losing people. I sadly lost my grandma to it. She was very elderly. But uh, yeah, but on the, the other side of things, it's like it has brought people to a whole different space. Yes. But, um, how has it helped in your, with your um, campaign? How do you tie it with your, with your campaign in the sense of... Um, um, do you, you know, do you talk about what it's done for, for people in a positive way as well as a negative way? Yeah, so I try and keep this, this campaign in a positive light. So the whole premise behind it was like six, seven years ago, my background's health and fitness. I actually, I started comparing myself to these Instagram and social media like we often do. And I went down a bad route of depression with body dysmorphia. Don't know where it came from, but after a while, it nearly split me and my wife up. We moved to Thailand for a while. She was born there, grew up in America and all this. But it really separated our marriage where I, I, I found a relationship with a bloody mirror for like three or four <laughs> hours. Like, yeah. and I can laugh now, but at the time. And then two years ago, like, I got over it all. Um, yeah. Cognitive behavioral therapy, all that kind of stuff. But yeah. a psychologist tried to pinpoint it. Maybe it was childhood which yeah. quite frankly pissed me off because I was like, I was the first one Yorkshire, top off beach. I was, it was a later life. But two years ago, turned social media back on because that was a testing and noticed that a friend back in the UK had passed away. There was no buildup. He'd not had any illness. Got in touch with old friends, bearing in mind I'm not being back 14 years, didn't know about his life, just used to train with him. And he'd taken his life. But this whole yeah. thing about this campaign, the passions, because I know what it's like to go through really yeah. impressive side, but to see someone on social media, highlight reels, career, yes. kids, all this, and then to take his life, I was just like, what? Yeah. So, you know yourself, you and your wife, you've got two little kids. If your wife is not there, say your daughter when she was younger, they scream for their parents. And... For me, I can never, it breaks my heart when I think about someone having to tell their child yeah. that someone's not coming home. So that's oh, this yeah. whole thing, but I keep it positive. And I was like, reached out to all the organizations, got thank you, but no thank you. I was like, there's a lot of advocates. I'm from Yorkshire. I'm going to do something. I not lost my accent. <laughs> I know, exactly. And then reached out to public figures in entertainment, corporate. And I said, look, I picked up the phone. I literally, I, I text first and then did the voice note kind of thing and said, look, this is my premise. You don't know me from Adam, but <laughs> I want to do this. Um, and then it started picking up. And I said, look, if you can just go back to a place, if you're comfortable, because it's very personal, to share your story so we can break it down. COVID's showing us that that doesn't, it, it, everyone affects everyone. So does mental health. We can change the narrative by me saying changing the face of, so showing people we know. Um, yeah. But they go to the campaign, they see the image, it draws them in. They go to the podcast and it's kind of, it's very much like yours in storytelling because it's the oldest form of communication. We yeah. resonate by music, film, literature. And it's, it, the whole premise is just keep going. If you're listening to Craig and his story doesn't resonate, maybe listen to someone else's who does 
and gone, yeah. that helped. And that's trying to keep it positive. But we touched down on lockdown and all of it. And like I say, I just, I get people like yourself who've got such high accolades and everything. And I just talk to people like that. That's the thing yeah. I think also, I'm like my background in health and fitness is people come and they don't think of a profession and I never do. I take my hat off, but at the same time, I know we're all human. Yes. And when I know you're a fellow northerner, <laughs> I'm just like, I'm going to enjoy this. <laughs> did you, um, I'm, I'm interested, did you get to the bottom of it, so why you were so down and why that happened to you? Did, did you find out that there was a reason? Or was yeah. it just a chemical imbalance or something? I mean, how, yeah. did you, how did you get to the bottom of it? How did you fix well, I, it? Like, how did you improve your... You know, I, it started with a little thing. I always living on Bondi Beach, mate. When you can come to yeah. Sydney, and you've got yeah. I've been to Sydney. I've been to Sydney, mate. Well, you know, like they all walk around and they've got aesthetic chests and they look like 365 days a year. Look, like, I was awesome. naive as to think that they weren't putting stuff inside themselves. At the same time, some of these are your best mates, and they're going, "I'm natural." Um, so it was playing with my head. So then. I was overtraining, and then three or four minutes, I'd be hiding it, looking in the mirror, to about three to four hours. Like, I'd disappear, look in the mirror. I'd, it, oh, it just got stupid. And then moving to Thailand was probably my demise because it gave a different culture, no friends around, and it was just me in the mirror till it nearly split us up. Saw a psychologist. They were really trying to go back towards childhood. And I was like, never. And then it was only through this campaign I started it after losing the friend. I went on someone else's podcast and someone said to me, look, Glenn, you lost a friend. I get that. But you're so driven by this. There's something yeah. else. What is yeah. it? Like, you're so relentless. You just haven't stopped. And I, I shared my story. And then I was doing the dates and I was like, shit. When Instagram started picking up and all these pictures of all these aesthetic bodies and yeah. looking at my, and yeah, that was it. I found it yeah. from this campaign, the whole thing. And it's, okay, it's just yeah. a dangerous thing, this comparison that we think everyone okay. is. Oh, it is. It is because, you know, in some ways it's artificial. Everyone's having a perfect life, perfect kids, perfect family. And you've got to take it all with a pinch of salt. That's why I don't, I, I try to be as authentic as I can with my posts on Instagram. Um, so that question because, I've got that question for you then mate what does imperfectly perfect mean to you oh I suppose it means um, that we're all human beings and no one's perfect and it means that we all have our flaws and we all have to learn to love our flaws and I don't think anyone is perfect in, in the in this sort of um, direct sense because what is perfect I mean you know, if people are looking at the Kashardians, I can't even say the name, if they're looking at them for people who are perfect, then, you know, some people like me might not agree. So, so for me, yes, we are all perfect in the sense that we are human beings and it's a miracle to be here and to be alive. Um, and it's okay to strive to be a better person, but actually, the perfection, I suppose, is is the imperfection. That's what makes us unique. That's what makes us different. And I think we should all really embrace being an individual and enjoying ourselves and our flaws. And it's as you say, that's why it's a great title um, because 
it hits, hits the nail on the head. I don't think there's any such thing as perfect, but what there is, is um, a healthy striving towards your own perfection because I'm trying to say, be, be happy in your own skin. And, and that is your perfection. It's, I mean, it's a, you know, I, mean, I could go on for hours about it, really. <laughs> I just know, I just know for me, I've learned to be comfortable in my own skin and not compare myself to anyone else. And if someone says, oh, you're this or you're that, I'll take that with a pinch of salt. And if someone says, oh, you're not as good as that, and you're not as good, I'll take that with a pinch of salt. Mm. Because ultimately, here's one thing I'll say. I, I do martial arts. I, you know, I've done martial arts for years and years and years. And one of the amazing things about being a martial artist is when you go into that dojo, you are in a practice area. You are practicing and you can always be better. And, you know, being a father, I can always be a better father. You can always be a better dad, but you have to draw the line because you start driving yourself crazy about, oh, I'm not playing football enough. Oh, oh, I'm this, I'm that. I'm this. You know what? Kids don't want to see their parents perfect because they will grow up thinking, oh, I've got to be perfect because my parents were like super beings. We're not. You know, I, I take comfort from not being um, a, a perfect parent um, and being human and showing my kids I can say sorry and I can get upset and I can get sad, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because I want them to know that we're all fallible. There's no such thing as a, as a super perfect being. But what there is, is us all hopefully trying to be nice people, hopefully trying to be good people and hopefully trying to live our life in a, in a, in a, a you know, a, morally correct way um but but we're all fallible we're all we're all insecure about certain things and i think what it boils down to is when you get older you realize god i wish i'd have had a word with myself when i was 21 22 you know they you know they said that youth is wasted on the young um it, it, it'd be an amazing thing to be to be say from 15 to 30 and have the wisdom that we have now yeah because <laughs> you wouldn't worry off as much, no. would you? And you fret, you Lampers, fret. All these young kids coming out now, I, I, fear, I fear for them. I, I worry about my kids and, and them entering the social media world. And, um, and so, you know, I'm trying to teach them now. You know, I might show them something. I don't necessarily like them seeing me on, on Instagram. My daughter asked me how many followers I've got and all this. And she might go, oh, you've got quite a lot. And I'll, I'll explain, well, that's because this, this, and this. It doesn't mean necessarily that I'm popular because so-and-so, for example, has got 10 million. You, you can't, you can't, and they're probably comparing themselves to The Rock. <laughs> Who's The Rock comparing himself to? Oh. He's probably comparing himself to God, going, God's got more followers than me. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so I suppose for me, what, what I get from it is let's all be happy in our own skin and work towards our um, inner happiness and try not to um, want, want something. I want the Holy Grail because it's not there. The utopia is here right now. The, yeah. the minute to minute joy of life and the day by day joy of life is here right now. And even I tell you, even if you like when I was younger, for example, I always told everyone I will win an Oscar one day. That is what I will do. And I, 
like, if I won an Oscar, I'm sure it'd be very lovely. But once I'd won it, I'd go, oh, okay, what next? You know, it's like, it's, it's a dangerous thing to think that that thing over there, I mean, Max Beasley talks about it eloquently in my podcast. He talks about, you know, going with the waves, going with the ups and downs. Moment to moment, that is where we are. Breath to breath, that is where we are. You know, ups, ups and downs and exercise, you know, eat well, but try not to, um, try not to think that the grass is greener. Well, I heard something the other day, which I'll, I'll say really quick to you about the Oscars. It was yeah. that if you notice, if, if you're putting your kind of, your happiness on an outcome, and if you got that, if you attained that Oscar, you've got to think, when you get that Oscar, the worry then would be, how am I going to live up to this stature on every single film? Completely. And now, I don't know the back-end story, but I've heard things, because I know people in LA, and they say, that kind of puts your rate of pay to the next level, yes. which might not then be working for a few more years, because you're so expensive. Yes, so is, absolutely. Is, is it an absolute must to win? I don't. I don't know. No, I don't think it is. I mean, it would be nice. It would be nice to be appreciated by your peers. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, I mean, to be honest, when I said I, you know, I was going to win an Oscar, I was never unhappy because I hadn't won an Oscar. Mm. Uh, for me, it was like a sort of, it was like a dream that I, I, can, I can attain. And I, I still think something like that is possible if you get very lucky, if you get the right script at the right time. Anything is possible if you're playing in the game. But then I realised, well, actually, isn't it a bit like buying a lottery ticket? Yeah, I suppose. Probably a one in million chance at, at best of doing something like that because there's a whole load of moving parts. But I suppose now that I've reached a, a, you know, a ripe old age, it is this new mantra for me is day by day. Day by day, just, you know... If you're having a great day, that's fantastic. Enjoy that. And that might carry on to the next day. If you're having a bad day, just always think things will get better, you know? Well, that's where I'm going to lead into. Just got two more questions because I know it's yeah. your day there, mate. But um, it just leads me into, obviously, your energy is just coming through the screen and you're just so grounded. And even if you've not got that Oscar at the minute, the amount of work that you have done you did the groundbreaking, the queerest folk that literally changed everything in Britain with TV. It was just amazing. And then obviously you went, you did Titanic, that in itself, one of the biggest films in the world, amazing. But then you went on to produce Trick or Treat, your new thing in yes. Blackpool of all yes. places. So yes. why Blackpool? Was that homage to where you grew up or? Yeah, well, well me and my brother-in-law called Geraint Anderson, um, we, we, about three years ago, suddenly decided that we'd both like to do something that we hadn't done before. And we both wanted to make a film, which is just one of those things in life that it was sort of like a dream. But then, but then we came up with this idea about, about something that we knew, which was as an old, older father, kind of struggling with the, with the first year of, 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 of the birth. And we both went through the same thing. Our friends had done a similar thing. And no one talks about how a man can get low at a moment when they're supposed to be so, so happy. 
And of course, you're extremely happy when your child is born, but then maybe after six weeks, the reality kicks in and the sleep deprivation kicks in and, and the sort of, you know, um, the, the, uh, the different relationship that you have for a time with your wife. And not only that, the huge pressure to, to earn for your child and to feed this child, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we decided to uh, write a film that we didn't think had ever been touched upon, which was basically male depression uh, with the backdrop of um, a, a time in your life where you're supposed to be extremely happy. Mm. And then uh, we, we, we bounced ideas around and then Garrett wrote this terrific script and then we worked on it for about another three months just getting it spot on. And then I said, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cast this and I'm going to get all my famous actors, in the same way I've done with the podcast, I want to send them this script. Yeah. And every single one of them, sort of maybe bar sort of one or two, said, yes, we love the script, we are in. And then once we'd got all those people, we were like driven, you know, kind of like you are with this. We were just driven. It was going to happen. We, there was no question in our minds. And doors just, power of the universe, again, doors just flung open. And again, interestingly enough, I stopped drinking for a year. And again, when I stop drinking and my energy goes through the roof and the clarity that I have, and I just stopped drinking for a year because I said, I'm going to stop drinking. I want this film to happen so much. I'm not going to drink. That's my, that's my deal with the universe. I'm not going to drink. I'll show you how serious I am about making this film. <laughs> yeah. I won't have a pint of Guinness for a year until I've got this, this film in the camp. And, um, and we, and we, and we made it and we got the money and, and then we filmed it. And then, and then we ran out of money and then we had to sort of go around getting more money to put it through the post-production. And um, I think Spike Lee once said it's almost impossible to make a good film. And I know what he means now because you've got to get the script right, then you've got to get the casting right, then you've got to get the money, then the money might fall through, then you've got to get the music then you've got to get the editing. There's so many places where you can fuck mm -hmm. it up. And then you've got to get the sales agent and then you've got to get the poster and then you've got to um, get it, get it out there. Uh, and then obviously the critics have got to be kind. So um, what I like about this film is that like on a bigger scale, because the podcast is my baby, but to make a film is like, I don't know how many people have achieved that. Yeah. So, so, that was good, good for the soul. And, and I would say to anyone that wants to make a film, yeah, it'll probably take you about three years from start to finish, if you're lucky. And it will <laughs> use every cell of your being and it will strain every fiber of your, of your uh, psyche. Uh, but you might just pull it off. And when you do pull it off, it might not take over the world and the million people that you wanted to see it might not see it. But those who do see it, that's, 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 that's an amazing thing. There's people out there, you know, I don't know the numbers, but there's a lot of people that have now seen this film and have got back to me through social media or through emails, et cetera, and said that they've been really touched by it or it made them laugh or, or they just loved it as, as a, as a uh, film. Um, but, but because we tapped, we talked about m mental health, um, I'm glad it's out there. Because 
you know, if anyone is listening to this podcast and wants to see an entertaining film that has a serious message at heart, uh, then that would be a wonderful thing. Yeah, because I was um, I was listening to another interview you did, and what what I liked listening to it was that somebody had picked up on that they needed to go back and watch because there's quite a lot of yeah. messages in there. Yes, yes it is. It, 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 it's and excuse the pun because it's set in Blackpool, but it's a roller coaster ride of a film. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is. I mean, it's like I, I wish you could see it in Australia. I don't think you can. It's so um, where can, get it? where can you can you can get it on Amazon and that at the moment? Where can we get that's it? That's in the US and the UK, though. Um, find a way, <laughs> maybe we'll find a way, yeah. But 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 we, I mean, I'm sure that it, you know, get there at some point. But when you do watch it, hopefully, if you watch it, yeah, it, it's an edge of the seat thing because you, the viewer, are like my character, you are in the dark, you don't know what is happening to you, why this is happening. You think, is it because he's had a spliff? Is it because he's mentally ill? Is, it, is this a dream? Is this all in his head? And there's all those layers that are kind of intertwined and you don't actually know what's going on almost until the final frame. And that's why people watch it again. They go, oh, and that's what we wanted. That's what me and Geraint talked about. We wanted people to be like that in the cinema, you know? And the fact that it got shown on a massive cinema screen for only uh, only four or five days in Blackpool was just mind-boggling in my local cinema that I used to watch films it was it was insane awesome to take something back home to Blackpool and all the stuff yeah. that's gone in London like yeah even just and it's to Blackpool, Blackpool as well it makes Blackpool look 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 extremely cool I think you can probably see the trailer I'm sure because yeah, I think that most the trailer is it's quite bloody as well isn't it it's quite <laughs> bloody <laughs> yeah, well, that, but but then when you watch the film, there's there's not a lot of blood in it. There's there's the threat of violence. It's it's a fifteen actually. My 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 kids, because one of my kids is in it, Frida. When when she was when she was about six or seven, she's in it. She can't wait to see it. And my my, my boy Vincent happened to see a bit of the trailer. He went, Daddy, you know that film that you're in and you produced. When can I watch that? I'm like, uh, in about 10 years, son. <laughs> Bloody hell. But it's a family affair, isn't it? Your brother's in it. You're in it. And now you don't. My brother's in it. What a joy that was. My brother is in it. And we'd only worked together once before on a TV show called Collision. And he was playing like a sort of, I was playing like a heightened version of me. And he was playing like a heightened version of himself. Yep. Uh, and you, you know, the fact that we were two brothers playing those parts, the, the chemistry was there for nothing. Um, and, um, and he's, you know, he's brilliant, isn't it? Um, you know, he tried to steal it from me, of course. <laughs> well, you joined the screens. Well, mate, um, I, I, I can't go without just asking you some, like, attesting to your podcast, surefire questions. So, uh, what, what's your favourite pudding, mate? What did you dream last night? <laughs> Love it. Well, you You've been serious. You've been serious. Should I go in? Oh, oh, go on, answer, mate, if you want. Okay. What did you dream last night? I, I tell you what, the first fa I've got loads of famous puddings. I'm an absolute pudding fiend. But my kids always know that uh, it's well known in this house that probably my favourite pudding would be apple pie and, and double cream. Homemade apple pie or apple crumble and double cream. 
Well, that custard, you're not a custard guy? Not I love custard, but oh my God, cream for me, double cream is like a taste of heaven. <laughs> you know and what? What did I do last night? Um, I don't know, but I do have a recurring dream about Simon the Bomb. <laughs> um, what did I dream last night? Oh God, I, uh, what did I dream last night? I, I did actually dream this morning, you know, um, but it was one of those mad dreams that, that, that I can't, um, I can't really remember. But it was quite, um, it was quite sort of trippy. It was oh, in and out. That's not bad. Like, I, I literally, you put me on the spot, but I cannot remember exactly what, and also my phone's going off. I, I know I'm thinking, I can gig, mate. <laughs> I don't want you to miss your next gig. <laughs> they might be <laughs> saying we've got to go. You know what I miss? Rhubarb crumble. Boom. Oh, rhubarb crumble's beautiful. Oh, rhubarb crumble. Um, with, and I did, I did pick up obviously in, you're a Guinness drinker? Yeah, gotcha. Oh, dude, that was my dad's. And I, I remember as a kid, like, when I snuck a little drink of it, it oh, man, Whoa. Guinness is a strong man's pint. No, it's actually not. It tastes like ice cream if you get a good pint. It tastes beautiful. There's, there's, a, pub, <laughs> well, there's a pub in Soho, right? If you're ever there, it's called the Tucum. And it's yeah. the best pint of Guinness you can have in London. And I'll tell you what, if you, get a, um, if you try Guinness, if you haven't tried it for a while, get it from a tin. Just get the one that's about 4 point... It's, it's only like 4.2% or 4.1%. And it's not strong at all. Your, you know, your dad, back in the day, sort of might have been drinking, I don't know, maybe the flat stuff that wasn't the draft stuff. Yeah, you know, like these white in the bottles. Yeah, yeah, we were the white top. Well, I'm, it must have been a bad pint, mate. <laughs> I don't know, I can't like Guinness. I challenge you to get yourself, get yourself another, give it another go. Go to your supermarket. Do they sell I don't Guinness? Think Guinness, Guinness is Australia. Australia. I don't, because it, it's so funny. I taught a lot of Australians and the last time I went to LA, because I go each year as well, and I went to the bar and I got them all onto, you know, in summer, how nice is it when you have, when you've got kids, mate, and you go a bit tame, a shandy, a nice cold shandy. Lovely. And I got oh, in LA and we went to this bar and it goes, to, it goes up and it was somewhere called Sir or something. And I said, oh, just ask him for a cold shandy. <laughs> and it was like, a What? And I was like, yeah, beer with a bit of lemonade. And he was like, what the hell is it? And he tasted it and he was like, dude, that's so refreshing. I was like, right. <laughs> so is it, exactly. But do you not think a shandy is a bit too sweet these days? Like, like even if I have a lager top, it feels like oh, I do in summer sometimes. Even that feels too sweet now. But oh, it's certainly a shandy. You can't go more on the lager than the, than the, the, the um, the lemonade because the shandy doesn't really count does it <laughs> i will after this i'll have to send you a picture of my mate he's like he's like nearly six foot something he's built like a brick you know what um, walks into a bar and he's like can I have a lemonade top he gets a bottle and he's got his lime on top and he just looks <laughs> all the british guys that still hang around together but oh man well, oh. you know what? Your phone keeps on going, mate, so I'm going to let you yeah. get it. But I just want to say, on behalf of everyone listening, um, where can people find out more information about you and that podcast? And your um, well, <laughs> well, the uh, podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. It's on Apple, it's on Stitcher, it's on Caster, it's on um, Spotify. 
I mean, I just search Kelly's Heroes with the with the with the apostrophe after the Y. Um, you can also, if you go to craigkelly.co.uk, there's information about my film and my podcast. And also, obviously, if you want to follow me on Instagram, I'm there as well, Mr. Craig Kelly. And I've got one of them uh, Linktree links. Is it? Is it called oh, Linktree? Yeah. I've got one of them that's. <laughs> You're showing your age now. <laughs> You're showing your age. No, is it called? What was it called? Oh, Linky gosh. tree. Wait, um, anyway, one of them fancy little links, which is on my profile the, page on, the only on thing that Instagram. Did they call it Instagram? Oh, it's somewhat old. Um, the only thing I'll say about your podcast, mate, is like you need more. Oh, thank How many you. Do you do a week? How many do you do a week? Because I love well, well, that's the thing. I did fifteen for the first first series, and then um, and then I'm am just having a break. But I've got about seven lined up. Oh, mate. Well, I'll yeah, I've subscribed, so I'll be listening. But your phone keeps on going, mate. I'll let you go for yeah, it. Sorry about that, buddy. I should sh- I sh- should have should have put it on silent. That's all right. It might be your next big gig, so I'm not gonna. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it probably is. Exactly, mate. So anyway, for anybody listening. Please subscribe and go to Spotify or Higher Heart Radio. I'll put all the links up to Craig's work and make sure you get in touch with him and check out his podcast, guys. But until next time, stay safe and keep having those hard conversations, guys. To find out more about the Imperfectly Perfect campaign and how you can get involved, simply head to our official website at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org or email us today at info at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org to speak to one of the team. The Imperfectly Perfect campaign is creating awareness and is not a substitute for professional advice. Should you need help, please refer to your nearest crisis number.